Now on 89.9 The Light, this is In Conversation with Clayton. Positive Radio. It sure is, and it's in community conversation. The phone number throughout this evening, one 899 That is your number to give us a call and ask your questions of any of our guests this evening. As we said later on, Professor John Lewis Lennox answering all your questions. That's after 8 o'clock. Tim Harris is going to be joining us soon as well about reducing screen time as we do return to normal. Uh, he writes a whole host of great books for kids, but he's also really on the pulse when it comes to this sort of stuff in terms of the screen time activities. How do we start building those tiny habits again in the other direction? <laughs> We'd sort of been flying it one way, but now we started to do it the other way. And in just one song's time, I'm going to be joined by Liz Perry. She's a speaker at the upcoming Teen Street Conference and also was on the front line over in Italy as a nurse, uh, serving there at the COVID epicentre. Uh, a remarkable lady. We're going to be having a chat with her next about those two passions that she's got and how you know, it was to be there right then and there and how right now there is a remarkable opportunity for teens to start exploring the real deep things of life in this online world. Liz Berry joining me in just a couple of minutes' time here on 89.9 The Light. This is Positive Radio. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, this is In Community Conversation with Clayton. It's great to have your company once again for another Sunday evening. And right now, let's have a chat to a lady who we want to talk to on a couple of different fronts. It is so good to be joined by Liz Perry. G'day, Liz. Hi, Clayton. How are you? I am doing well, thank you. And it's uh, wonderful to have a chat with you. And We want to talk about a couple of things, your uh, involvement in a remarkable opportunity coming up at the start of July for teens to really connect in and understand perhaps a bigger purpose of God in their world. Uh, and we are going to get to that, but also your involvement uh, at the very epicentre of the, this COVID outbreak in Italy. Um, we better yeah. start. You, you are a nurse, is that correct? Tell us, what, what is there a specialty uh, that you're, you're in? I'm a paramedic, actually, Clayton, so... <laughs> Well, There's a little bit of a difference. There is. Not too, big, not, not too big of a difference. So, yeah, I'm a paramedic. Um, and I went with a couple of other nurses um, over to Italy. Yes. Um, so we flew over there together and um, went to northern Italy. And so to just get this correct, uh, you heard what was occurring. You said, right, yep. this is the epicentre of what's occurring for, for COVID. Yep. And you decided to say, let's actually fly directly <laughs> into that. Um, yeah. It, it <laughs> seems like a silly idea. So take us through why <laughs> that was the case. Um, well, so, yeah, well, I got on the plane. Um, so uh, we went from um, here to Doha, but then from Doha to Italy. And as we got on the plane in Italy, so we flew from Rome up to Milan, the 500-seater plane was completely empty. Um, and it was then that I thought, am I crazy? What, what am I doing? Um, but no, like I, I'd fully I thought about the risks and, and considered the consequences before I left. And um, Samaritan's Purse looked after us the whole way. So... Um, it was a wonderful, um, amazing experience, and I'm so glad that I was able to to go and help the people over there. Mm. So. so, so Liz, quite seriously, as much as I sort of said that jokingly, the, the, the yeah. reason for you was actually to say that there is a need there, and I understand how dangerous this is, but um, yeah. th- th- was it there, there was short staffed, and this is why they were asking anybody around the world. What was the actual spur for saying, yeah. I'm actually going to do that right now? 
so they were short-staffed. Um, so the numbers grew exponentially and very quickly over there and they didn't have time to prepare. Um, so our field hospital set up next to the main hospital in the epicentre in a place called Cremona. Um, and so we were able to support them. Um, so we were able to accept their, some of their really sick patients and some of their mild, um, mild cases as well. But they, our hospital had a full ICU, so we could accept some of their patients and relieve the burden um, of, that, of that hospital. Yeah. And now you said you went with Samaritan's Purse. It, was this yeah. a specific Samaritan's Purse hospital? Because I know that at times they have done that around the world or was it joined with somebody else? Um, so they have field hospitals that they set up for disasters. So they go into disasters and they deploy staff from all over the world who put their hand up um, and say they want to help. Um, and that this for me, this is the one that I thought, yep, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm um, I'm not afraid, and I'm going to go and, and help the Italian people. Yeah. Now I do want to talk about what it was actually like there, but just before we get to that, you just used a phrase which was. I'm not afraid. Um, <laughs> it seems like for the majority of people, and probably most mm. of us would stick up our hands, there, there was a, a reasonable level of fear, especially at the start of this outbreak, yeah. which is exactly when you went. So how can you actually That's say right. the words, I, I, I wasn't afraid? <laughs> where, where did that come from? Um, so that would be my belief in God that he had called me to such a time as doing doing that particular task. Um, I, I was aware of the risks and I think when we left, it, it, as you said, um, it was at a time where there was so much unknown about the virus and and to the point where we didn't know whether we could get back into Australia. We didn't know once we left the country and they couldn't give us that guarantee either. Um, so it was really, there's a point, um, you've got to think about the risks and the consequences, but then there's a point of stepping out, um, daring to go in faith. And I, I, I knew in my heart that that was the right thing for me to do. Mm. So, yeah. It's quite remarkable that that's the, what it was for you and, and the way that you stepped into that, um, Liz. Yeah. Uh, I'm having a chat to Liz Perry. You can give her a call and ask a question of Liz's experience. one 899 is the phone number. Um, Liz, um, when you were there and, and you arrived, what was it like for you as you, you went in? And um, I yeah. suppose before we even talk about what the work you did, what was the feeling like as you actually landed there mm. and, and right in the middle of what that is? You know, yeah. we, we, we haven't quite experienced that, thankfully, here sure. in Australia. Thankfully, yeah. So it, I don't know if you've ever seen a zombie apocalypse kind of movie. Yeah. Um, it felt like that. It wow. was cold, overcast, and the highways were completely empty as we drove in. And as we drove up the highway, I thought, oh, like, I'm never coming out of this. This is it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so we went in and we went to this town and it just felt very kind of heavy because there had been a lot of deaths occurring in, in the area and you could really feel it. I, well, I, I could feel, I could sense something um, was happening and had happened, and yeah. it, it was a feeling of of um, quite of, of darkness, I guess. And um, I we um, ended up working the night shifts for the whole time we were there, so we didn't see much sunlight, and we were um, yeah just working throughout the night. It was very cold at the beginning, um, and so there was just a couple of factors that really kind of all came in at once, and. 
Um, it was a profound experience for me because I really felt <clears throat> like God was there with me, even though I was facing this darkness and facing this this plague that was just ravaging these people in front of me. Um, I did feel a, a very strong sense that, that um, God was with me. Yeah. So I, I would like to encourage anyone listening that if you're feeling, if you're in a dark place, even now, um, know that God is God is not just in the daytime, in the happy times and, and, and the, the light times, but he's there in the darkness as well. He's not afraid of anything and he'll be there with you to, to guide and protect you and be your friend. So. Yeah. Um, so as you went about that work, um, those moments, I, I'm guessing that as much as there was a whole lot of hardship that occurred and there was, uh, you know, probably things that you're, you're still having to deal with emotionally from the time yeah, that you were there. absolutely. Um, were, were there moments of just joy even in the midst of oh, such sort of, you know, awfulness? <laughs> there was, Clayton. So um, there'd been a man in there in the ICU. So ICU is kind of, I don't know, for people that aren't medical, it's it's a kind of a brink between life and death. It's a very strange sort of place where people are they're fighting for their lives. Yeah. This man in, had been in there for a couple of weeks, and um, I, I just I would go in there and and just um, I, I'd see him, and he was they ventilated patients. So um, yeah, he'd been in there for a while, and. And then um, he he did get better, but it took a, it took a long time, and um, he went through some phases of coming out of of that state that he'd been in. And one one night he um, I pulled uh, I held his hand and um, I squeezed it, and he opened his eyes and he squeezed it back just a slight squeeze, and it was like this touch of humanity. I can't explain it, and I just. I looked at him and I, I just thought, you're alive, you're, you're alive, you've made it. And um, after two weeks, he, he came out of that ICU tent in a wheelchair. He was very, very weak. Um, and we all lined up and we clapped for him. Mm-hmm. And um, it was such a profound moment um, to know that, that we'd gone to make a difference and um, we could give him over to his family who are waiting yeah. on the other side. So. Yeah, excellent stuff. Yeah. Uh, if you want to text a question to Liz, you can. 0428 899 899. 0428 899 899. Uh, Liz, how many uh, days, weeks were you actually over there? Um, so I was over there for a month yep. and then we had to come back to Sydney and quarantine in a hotel for two weeks after yeah. that. Yeah. And what, what was that uh, quarantining experience like after, uh, <laughs> you know, sort of being in the midst of the worst of it and yet here you are yeah. stuck yourself <laughs> now? Look, um, um, it, was, it was hard, I won't lie, uh, but the police were beautiful. They were lovely to us, were so supportive and um, just the support that we had and the love and the care from the Red Cross and the, the army and the police and, and Samaritan's Purse as well as we came back into the country and um, the amount of thank yous and, and love and appreciation we received, it, it made me, it, it helped me get through that two weeks. So, yeah. yeah. My guest on the program this evening is Liz Perry. We're going to be back with Liz in a couple of moments' time as we ask um, what are the, the key things that, Liz learnt for herself and maybe she could share with us from this experience um, overseas and also to talk about this remarkable opportunity that's coming up with Teen Street, this uh, moment uh, in a month or so's time where uh, teens across the country 
can actually be inspired to connect in and understand that deeper purpose in life, that connection with God in a very unique way using the technology that we have available to us. That's on the way next with Liz. Your questions as well, that text line 0428 899 899. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9, the lights. This is Positive Radio. You're in community conversation with Clayton. You can text through your questions for any of our guests this evening. 0428-899-899. A bit later on, we've got Professor John Lennox joining us from the UK and we've got Tim Harris, uh, children's author, and going to help us break some of those habits, especially around screen time, coming up shortly as well. But Liz Perry joins me right now, a paramedic who uh, chose to go right in the middle of the... Uh, when. Italy was the absolute epicentre of the COVID crisis in there to help those over there because they were just undermanned. Spent a, a month there as well. Liz, um, you really are, you know, we've been talking here on this radio station for a number of weeks, you know, here's to our heroes is a campaign we're running. You, you certainly clarif- yeah. classify in, in that category. Do, do, you, do you think of yourself as sort of being brave in that sort of sense to, to head in there? Was that part of what you had to actually sort of say, look, I am going to be brave and, and run into this place? Or was it just, as you sort of mentioned, the right thing to do? And so bravery didn't really come into it, just the right uh, thing did. Look, everything, you know those times in life where everything is just up in the air and you just kind of, you don't have a feeling of courage or bravery. You just kind of step out and, and do something. And um, at the time, um, you, 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 you feel driven to do something, but you don't really consider yourself brave or courageous at the time. It's just something that, that you're doing. And um, afterwards, you kind of look back and go, oh, gosh, like, <laughs> I actually did that. But, yeah, I just, um, I, look, there's there's plenty of heroes in day-to-day life, and um, I wouldn't consider myself a hero. <laughs> Well, I, I reckon we, we can do the hero tag on you. That's fine. No problems at all. Um, Liz, I want to ask, before we start talking about, uh, I know you're going to be a, a speaker, I believe, at Teen Street coming up. But before yeah. we talk about that, um, I just want to wrap this up with the sense of um, what have you learnt from the process? Because I, I think for me, whenever we go through something that's quite intense or, or even just life generally, it's always good to sort of sit back and reflect and, and go, what have I learnt from that that I'm hopefully now going to take into the rest of my life? Is there is there something you walk away from the experience of being right there in the middle of the, the worst part of it in the world for that, those four weeks? Yeah, look, Clayton, um, I think, as I said before, um, there was a heavy sense of darkness, both physically and and in a different realm as well. And I, in the quietness of those nights that I was there, um, I just, I, I found God in a new way. I, I, I realized that he's always working. He's always in the background, behind the scenes, even in the midst of darkness, he's always there present and he's in control. And I know right now with everything that's happening, you may feel like God is not in control. He is, he's there and he's a good God. Um, so I just, I just really learnt that during that time um, of of seeing death in the face and, and confronting it and seeing it with my very own eyes in that ICU. Um, that that God is present. He's there. He's um, He's with us all. And um, and I think the other thing is not to be afraid to step out. Um, God will always meet you on the other side. Um, he was there. He knew I was uh, where I was going before I left, and and He was there when I got there into into Italy. And um, I think that um, just to encourage people um, to step out. And I, I 
fear does stop us. I know that. But even take small steps um, and, and God will, will meet you. He'll take the big steps for you. Just take those small steps and, and see what he can do um, in our lives. So, yeah, that's the two things that I learned. There you go. Um, now, the Teen Street's coming up at the the start of next month in, in July as well. And this is a, a remarkable opportunity for, um, you know, through through OM, uh, who often, you know, this is sort of a, a an in-person gathering for teens across this uh, country to start understanding a bit more or really deepen their faith in God and an understanding around that. You're going to be actually one of the speakers, but it's it's all going to be an online space this year. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, Clayton. So it'll be different, but it should be good. And uh, have you had a chance to speak into this sort of uh, space previously? No, this is the first time, and I'm really looking forward just to speaking into young people's lives who who have so much ahead of them. So, yeah. yeah. And and is your content going to be mostly about this experience, or is there other things that you're looking to share as well? Um, Look, I think it mostly will be about this experience, um, just in terms of... um, the things I've gleaned and and how I can import into into young people's lives who are who are coming into their their own fruition and their own um, future ahead and and just being able to speak into that for with them and for them. So yeah, I, I think that's one of the the remarkable moments is that especially to be able to connect in with well connect in with any of us, but it, it teens in that space as well to to hear your yeah. story around that. Um, and obviously it's been in the news that they're going to have to be able to relate to it. Uh, how much public speaking have you done previously, Liz? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've done a fair bit, Clayton. So I'm actually okay doing public speaking. I feel quite calm. I like it, actually. So <laughs> well, well, it makes sense because you've been fantastic during this interview. So that makes oh, sense. Oh, thanks, Clayton. A, a bit of what you've done. Um, now, if you'd like to get in, involved on, in Teen Street, it's teenstreet.org.au. That's the place to head, teenstreet.org.au. Um, just as we do wrap up as well, Liz, I wanted to ha- have a quick chat about uh, the work with Samaritan's Purse. Now, this is how you went over uh, to Italy in the first place. Had you connected yeah. in with Samaritan's Purse pre- previously? Was that a, a big part of your world? Yeah, so um, Clayton, um, I'd done training with them a couple of years ago to actually deploy um, and there hadn't been a deployment. Um, so they'd gone into the Congo with the Ebola crisis. Um, they'd been working in Iraq as well. Um, they do multiple deployments throughout the year with the tsunamis and earthquakes and um, this was the first one that I put my hand up and said, yep, this is this is the one that I feels right for me. So um, yeah, I've been connected with them for a couple of years. Oh, well, excellent. Look, they, we've done so many interviews uh, over the years with those around Samaritan's yeah. Purse and, and, and the work that they've done. We are huge supporters of uh, the work of awesome. Samaritan's Purse <laughs> as well. Uh, Liz, it's been just wonderful having a chat to you. Thank you for your encouragement. Thanks for the inspiration. Enjoy the, the chat at Teen Street. And uh, uh, the last question for me is, as yeah. you did come back and you came back to Australia now, it, when you're sort of living normal life, I know we're not quite back yep. to normal life here now. Yeah. Um, is it hard for you to live normal life, knowing what you've gone <laughs> through there, or is that something that you've been able to say, look, actually, there's just just different parts of the world, and I'm just living it here. Or I, I suppose I I ask that because I I hear from people who've been through, you know, dramatic things or, or wars yeah. or whatever else it might be, in really intense environments, and it mm. it feels weird to sort of live your normal life. But that's where the the question comes from. Yeah, um, it has been a transition um, with a fair bit of debriefing as well, just because it's not something you come across every day, something like that. 
I'm so grateful for my country, though, coming home and um, and so grateful that um, it didn't happen here, um, what happened in Italy, and um, just enjoying every day being in Australia and um, just the peace and, um, I don't know, just everything about this country I'm very grateful for at the moment. So, um, yeah, it, has, it was definitely a transition um, coming back after being exposed to something like that, but... I guess that that that's the what do you say like that's the the way I, I was aware of that going into into that that being exposed to something like that would have effects um, and um, I just feel like I'm debriefing through with teammates has been amazing such a supportive network and um, yeah it's it's been a good journey coming back home so yeah. Well, we thank you for all the work that you have done, the inspiration you've given us today and uh, some of your time to have a chat this evening. Thanks so much, Liz. Thanks so much, Clayton. Nice talking to you. It's Liz Berry, my special guest here on In Conversation on 89.9 The Light. Up next, Tim Harris. He's a writer of many children's books and he's going to be talking to us about how we create those tiny habits, especially the habit at the moment of actually, uh, you know, sort of breaking the extra screen time we've all been having, especially with our kids. That's on the way next here on The Light. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, this is In Community Conversation with Clayton. It is so wonderful to have your company this evening and uh, to take you through on a bit of our journey tonight, you can text in and ask any of our guests a question, 0428 899 899. And this is one of those moments where um, my kids are just beside themselves because I get to have a chat to a man who has authored a whole stack of kids' books, including Toffle Towers, Mr. Bambuckle's Remarkables, Exploding Endings, and a whole heap more. To it around the country, having a chat, talking about creativity and short stories with a whole lot of kids. Uh, Tim Harris joins me. G'day, Tim. G'day, Clayton. How are you? I'm doing very, very well, thank you. And I have been told very specifically from my three kids that um, the first thing I have to say to you is that they want another Toffle Towers. They don't think it's finished all enough and they'd like another one. So that was specifically just from them. I'm just letting you know. Oh, that's that's a lovely comment. So, no, there is good news there. There'll be one in a couple of months' time. Excellent, excellent. No, they were. It was the absolute uh, unanimous decision from all of them as we go through. Tim, <laughs> let, let's talk a little bit about um, you know writing kids' books, and we we are actually wanting to to lead very much to the idea of something that you're quite passionate about, which is sort of getting back into books and breaking some of this screen time. But we will get there. Let's just start by um, the idea of you getting into writing kids' stories. Was it something that you always even as you were going through school, writing different stories and these sorts of things, or is this something a bit later in life? Um, yeah, it is actually something that, that happened later in life. So um, my passion, uh, well, creative passion was music, but I, I, my goal, dream you know, job uh, was actually teaching. So my goal all through high school was I want to be a primary school teacher. Uh, so And that's what happened for 15 years. I was a very happy primary school teacher, and music was the passion I would, you know, play drums at church and uh, play in, played in a couple of other bands and released some music. But then um, one day I was teaching year one class and I thought, I might write them a story, you know, just for the fun. Um, and that actually got into the hands of one of the parents um, who was involved in the Children's Book Council of Australia just by chance. And she actually contacted me to say, um, hey, what was... Um, you know, what was that story? And, and I think it's a great story. And she started giving me some advice and, and the encouragement that I think I needed to 
look into it more seriously. So if it wasn't actually for an email from a parent, um, I'd still be very happily teaching and I'm very happily authoring and visiting schools. It's incredible stuff, isn't it? And, and, you know, I've had a number of authors on the program as well and I often uh, love asking them how they actually go about their writing styles. You know, we've got anyone from, you know, had a chance to interview Jeffrey Archer and he literally takes himself away to a room for like three months, doesn't let anyone else come in and just writes. How, how is it for you? What, what's your sort of style to get your, your inspirations? Yeah, so there's a... I, I was learning... Um, when I was moonlighting as a teacher, I was learning that there's a real discipline involved in in writing, um, and it's I won't say easy, but it's much easier to start writing a book than it is to finish writing a book. So I was sort of you know starting a few stories and not quite finishing them, but once I got a hang of that discipline, it became a little bit easier. But these days, um, my best writing hours are in the morning. That's if I'm not touring. So uh, a typical writing day might be 9 to 11. Uh, you know, that sounds cruisy, but there's actually a lot of admin that comes with the job. So there's a lot of uh, liaising with um, people who you're touring with and, and working out what you're going to be talking about and, and the travel arrangements. Um, and then there's uh, fan mail, which is a lovely thing. And I always I have a bit of a goal that I'll reply to every you know email that comes through my website or, or physical letter so there's a lot of that as well so you know writing day might be 9 to 11 on a manuscript and then the rest of the day is actually just um you know doing behind the scenes stuff as well if it's a tight deadline though it, you might be looking at some at the occasional 12 hour day just to make sure deadlines are met we all love deadlines don't we we, we sure do it gets us going as we, we move forward tim it seems to me that for you the um you know you talked about your, your love and your desire to be a primary school teacher you did that for you know a decade and a half and it was writing the stories for the kids it was the singing and the music for the kids as well it is is the writing now the, the passion or is it still very much how do I move a child to something to, to open their mind up in a different way, to, to feel something different, to explore something? And, and it just happens to be writing. If tomorrow sort of, you know, music or, you know, mime came along and that was a better form, would you, would you go to that or do you think you've found your niche now? Yeah, that's a really great question, Clayton. Um, I think for me, it's always been about connecting, connecting with kids. Um, and so, going through uni, I, I think I would do typically about three or four, you know, Christian camps a year as a leader, um, because you know, was, I just knew I wanted to be a primary teacher, and that was a great way to sort of, I guess, practice forming the relationships. Um, and then it made sense to, of course, you know, when writing became something I was interested in. Of course, there was. The primary school audience already there so these days it is it is very much about the kids still and it's about trying to get them to well, a um enjoy a book and enjoy reading because of course there are so many benefits to reading um but also um much of it now is also you know the school visits so last year 2019 i visited about 100 schools in australia wow. and that, that becomes a huge part of it and so that face-to-face, those short bursts of relationships really, are really great. And look, I'll be honest, I, I do miss having my own class. I loved, um, you know, those relationships and getting to know the kids super well. Um, so I think that's part of that's why I wrote Mr. Bambuckle's Remarkables is because I missed having a class. I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to write my own class. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, so it's always very much about the kids. And, um, yeah. you know, if I enjoy the books, then that's a bonus. Yeah, and, look, I, and I ask that question because I can just, you just sense it as you talk. We, we look at what your resume is and it, it does feel like it's the, the movement of the kids is the, the, the priority here and you, you're using the, all the different channels that you've got as well. Um, 
you mentioned Mr. Bambuckles there, you know. Now, this teacher is just like the world's greatest teacher ever, ever uh, as I, I listen, as I hear, as I wander into the, into the rooms as the kids are listening to the audio books at night as well. Um, when you write, like, uh, you know, a, a fantastic teacher in that regards, are you saying, look, these are all the, this is exactly what I was like, these are all the things I wish I was like? <laughs> How do you actually piece together something that is clearly for you something, um, you know, that you've lived out for such a long time? Yeah, the, the latter is true, Clayton. It's, these are the things I wish I was like. So he was very much an idealistic teacher. Um, but he was inspired by some real people. So I actually did a bit of a blog about this on my website, Five Real Teachers Who Inspired Mr Van Buckle. Uh, and one of them was a teacher of mine, my Year 4 teacher, and four of them were teachers who I worked with. And what I did was pinch characteristics from each of those teachers that, that personally I really liked and thought they were you know, great traits for teachers to have. Um, and when they were all sort of combined to create Mr. Bambuckle, it, he just be, you know, took on a life of his own. But that said, he was also very much an unplanned character where uh, his actions were never clear and I wanted mm. to sort of surprise myself in the writing process there. All the other characters were very planned and very scripted. But with him, uh, my first thought was, well, what would I do as a teacher? And then Mr. Bambuckle, he's going to do something completely different. <laughs> so there, there was an element of surprise in there as well. Because I figured if I'm surprised as a writer, then I hope the reader will be surprised as well. Yeah. Uh, Tim, you mentioned, you know, that the, the part of your journey, who you are is being on Christian camps, living, having a faith in that regards as well. Um, your books that we've mentioned here that they're not faith books in that sense but how does faith actually influence the way you go about uh, your your work with kids and, and writing for them yeah so every now and then uh, when i do visit schools um if i know it is a christian school i'll, I'll ask the organizer usually it's the teacher librarian if they'd like a, a faith element in the presentation in which case We'll, I'll talk a lot about how creativity it really is one of the best gifts, I think, that, that God's given us. And, and we all have different gifts in that area. I mean, some people are, are just so creative in the kitchen. You know, other people, it might be the way they put a car together or the way they do a paint job. It might be music. It might be writing. It might be art. There's just so many different ways we can do it. So I, tr I try and talk about that because I know that not everyone in that room is going to be 100% geared towards the writing so I figure if we can get excited about creating, then then they'll leave thinking, well, actually, you know what? I love BMX riding, and there's mm -hmm. there's some creative ways I can ride my bike and do stunts or or, or whatnot. Um, so that's probably the main thing I, I gear towards with the faith element. And then when it comes to the books, there's there's some very look. It's not C.S. Lewis Narnia. There's no you know sort of metaphors, but there are some subtle hints there. So for example, you have a character like Mr. Bambuckle who, who knows the students better than they know themselves. Um, and that's a, a pretty obvious, you know, reference to, to Jesus. So, mm. um, yeah, so there's a few little things like that. But that. That's one that I'd have to explain. You know, that's not yeah, one yeah. that would be picked up straight away. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it seems like that, that desire to, to have kids, the best kids they can be, is, is part of what seems like your makeup and, and I'm assuming part of that faith element too. Yeah, that's 100% right, yeah. Yeah. My guest is Tim Harris. He is the author of a whole host of various books, as we said, Toffle Towers, Mr. Bambuckle's Remarkables, Exploding Endings, and uh, travels around Australia when you're allowed to travel around, that was, uh, having a chat yeah. to kids and, and uh, talking about creativity, short stories, and those sorts of things. We want to specifically talk to Tim next about how he sort of 
you know, break some of those habits that we're talking about, those ideas around that we've built into ourselves around screen time. How do we do get back to some of these books, especially for our kids uh, during this time as we start heading back into a bit more of a normalcy? Uh, That's on the way next with Tim here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. This is 89.9 The Light, Melbourne's positive radio and in-community conversation with Clayton and Tim Harris, the man who has authored a number of children's books and uh, certainly spent a number of hours travelling our country, uh, many, many hundreds of hours talking to kids about creativity, about stories, about being dynamic and entertaining and the way they go about their world as well. Tim, we want to talk specifically uh, about how do we start resetting some of these boundaries? Um, obviously, you've got a, a big passion around books and, and kids reading, but we understandably through this time of COVID-19 have added screen time for kids and even for adults as well. Um, have you got any advice? Have you got some tips and tricks on how we start resetting some of these boundaries? Yeah, I think the um, the big one is letting kids know in advance that there are going to be some changes. And I think, I think I'm sure a lot of the parents would find that the most irritable their children would become is if there's short notice between in-depth screen time and then give me back my iPad. Yes, yes correct. <laughs> and that's, correct. So that's, you know, that's when there's a lot of trouble. So we start, so we have four children, uh, eight, six, five, and six months old. So the six month old, no screen time. Um, but with the eight, six, and five, we found that in pulling back that screen time, if they know, you know, um, you're only going to have this for 10 minutes and they know that well in advance, then it makes them removing this screen so much easier. So I think that would be a really good starting point is just starting simple and making sure that there's very clear communication with the expectations and the and the time constraints on the screens. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because with the, the sort of learn at home idea as well, you know, we, we've had a, a really interesting mix around screen time because there's demands for the the um, the idea of online sort of learning. In fact, a whole lot of the, the ways that they're actually submitting their work is back on the computer, back on the screens, these sorts of things as well. So um, it, I feel like there's a bit of a mixed messages that we've been sending to the kids as well that, hey, we want you more and more and more screens, um, not just for the entertaining side, but also for some of the educational side. Yeah, that's right. That, that's a very good um, point. And I think to avoid that confusion, it does. Um, it comes back to conversation and discussion with the children, and just reminding them that you know this was this was a way that we could do it, but this was just for that short amount of time. Yeah. Um, but now that things are going back to normal, you know, we, we're going to set some boundaries again. But I think it, it can also be um, depend according to the space that you live, you know, the neighbours that you have. So I've got friends who, you know, live on the north coast at the beach and so for them the screen time has never been an issue because the kids actually prefer being, you know, in a surf or when they're allowed or, or out in the streets driving their bikes. But others, other friends who live in a flat, it's a completely different situation because they're, they're used to that sort of indoor small space and so then the screens, you know, yes, they become a big part of school but they were, you know, fairly present beforehand. So I think those, you know, circumstances also can make a difference in getting things back to normal. Yeah, and, and I suppose really just acknowledging that and then, as you said, start those discussions as we move forward. I know, Tim, obviously you've got a huge amount of people who um, connect in with you through the, the books that you write and these sorts of things. My understanding is you've actually put a bit of a, in a way, almost a poll out there to, to say, hey, parents, let, let's come up with some great ideas on how we actually do that. Is there Was there some surprising ones that came your way? 
There was actually a friend said that she uses an app. It's called Our Pack. So that's um, O-U-R-P-A-C-T to control the iPad and iPhone use. And her theory is that the kids won't argue with a, with a computer shutting itself off, <laughs> but they will argue if mum says, you know, we're going to turn this off. But apparently that, I haven't used the app, apparently it's a subscription-based app where you, I think you pay an annual fee, but it won't just allow you to control when the device is used. You can actually also put locks on specific apps so for her teenager, there's a, a message like she, she's not allowed to, well, her teenage daughter rather is not allowed to message after 8 p.m. So right. that app is then, the device is still usable. Um, so that was a really interesting one because there we have some very, very clear boundaries, you know, black and white, you know, by the minute, by the second. Um, but that's all done through the app. And so you, you can't argue with that once that's set. And, um, and mum's got the password. But, yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. So that, that was a really interesting one that came through. But generally there was a pattern of um, black and white rules about how much screen time is allowed during week weekdays. That was the big one coming through. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people saying 20 minutes per day, weekday, now that so we're in Sydney, so now that schools are back in Sydney, um, 20, you know, 20 minutes, or it might be um, longer times on the weekends as well. So having that difference um, and more relaxed on the weekends as well, as opposed to uh, during the COVID. Yeah. Hours a day is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah, which is where we got to, right? Like, I mean, we, we sort of were, in one weird sense, not forced into it. I mean, no one was ever forced into getting the kids on a, a, a zillion hours of the screen time. But uh, but life circumstances allowed us to say, look, we just have to actually cope. And a few extra hours of screen time, we even had people on this program saying, look, a few extra hours for the moment is not going to kill these kids. It's okay. We're going to have to get back to normal, which is what we're talking about now. But the, uh, this is start of pattern forming and habit forming. So it yeah. is going to be the, the process out again as well. Yeah, that's right. And again, that's just that lovely example of the communication. I did have one friend comment that they did the cheeky by their kids. The, they actually printed off the work the night before, the work that was going to be appearing on the app that they were going to use. So they printed it off. And so the kids were number wise about, here's your work set up by the teacher. We've printed it all off. Um, now you're going to do it, you know, without the use of a computer and we'll yeah. take photos of it all and send it. So there's um, lots of different ways around it. Yeah, exactly right. Well, I tell you what, um, every single parent who is listening, we do wish you all the best as you step into this mode uh, about those habit formings. But I think, I think you're right, Tim. The first one you said is just about those discussions and, and giving their heads up. I think that's a, a great reminder uh, for every parent as we go through. And I suppose also a good reminder to us. Um, I know that uh, we, we probably had a little bit extra screen time because, you know, the, the, the various events aren't on or we're not going out as much or whatever else it might be. It might be a good reminder for us adults to give our, ourselves a heads up that, hey, we should make sure we, we know we're not getting to as much screen time as well. And head forward for there. I don't think it's going to work giving the kids passwords for us to, to lock us out. So it might just need to be good good old <laughs> discipline, I think. That's right, yeah. I think one of the best things as well is, of course, to, you know, now that we're, we're coming out of the other side, is to offer different things. So, you know, we're obviously, we're big book lovers in our house, so we deliberately, you know, leave a lot of books around for the kids to read. Or it might be board games, or if you, if you have a yard... It might be saying, hey, it's a sunny day, why don't you go on the trampoline or the street's empty, why don't you ride your bike? And it's sort of, you know, offering offering those other activities to, to remind them that there's more to life than, 
you know, a 12 inch screen. Yeah, exactly right. Tim, it has been wonderful having a chat with you this evening. Thank you so much for your time. As I said at the start, you know, my kids are huge uh, fans of your work and we, we so love your heart for, you know, improving the lives of kids through the work that you are doing as well. Thanks for encouraging us a bit with that tonight as well. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Tim Harris, my special guest here on 89.9 The Light. Well, coming up next, after the news at 8, uh, from the UK, we're going to be having a chat with Professor John Lennox. He has written a book, Where is God in a Coronavirus World? He's also written a book recently around artificial intelligence and the future of humanity with a whole lot of this extra technology that's been sort of flooding our way these last few months. These are really linking in together. He is regarded by many around this world as the the world's leading biblical scholar and philosopher. Uh, Your questions for him, you can text through 0428 899 899. You can phone through 1300 777 899.